This is the Future Forward Argos podcast, where we're exploring tomorrow, today, on the radio. Catch us live Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on Student Argos Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Lisa Rebauer. And I'm Rocío Valderrabano. And we are hosting this week's episode of Future Forward Argos. In our last show, we talk about the changing nature of what we eat, what we drink, and how we produce and dispose food. Today, we will get political and talk about the future of migration. Because future goes beyond technology developments, future also means changes in social environment, and migration, as a broad topic, is an item on every country's agenda currently. All European states have had their own controversies when it comes to immigration and the numbers of refugees that continue to come to the continent. But Denmark has recently made a shift when it comes to letting refugees and asylum seekers into the country. In 2015, the country cut integration social benefits for refugees and immigrants by 45%. They later advertised that benefit cut in newspapers in Lebanon, which has a large refugee population. In 2016, the Danish government decided to suspend a program to receive around 500 refugees per year through the United Nations Refugee Agency indefinitely. The country announced this measure will continue on this year. Last year, Danish authorities passed a bill that states that asylum seekers who arrive with more than 10,000 kronas in cash will have to use the surplus above 10,000 krona to pay for their stay. It was a move that provoked an international outcry. But how did the Danish parliament explain their new bill, Chio? Danish politicians justify the measure by saying everyone should pay their share into the welfare state. Here's Markus Nutt, a Danish government spokesperson, explaining in a video from The Guardian. Uh, we're simply asking that if asylum seekers, in the rare case where they do come, with enough means to pay for themselves, then following exactly the same rules as for Danish citizens wishing to be unemployment, well, on, on, uh, on unemployment benefits, if you can pay for yourself, well, then you should pay for yourself before the Danish welfare system But does measures take an extent beyond the welfare state. A Danish city council mandated the placement of pork on municipal lunch menus, including at schools and daycares, although observant Muslims don't eat pork. The immigration minister, Ingrid Stoichberg, celebrated the fifth regulation against immigration with a cake and a photo posted on Facebook. Even foreigners who don't seek asylum are facing difficulties to reside in Denmark. Phone academics based in the country have received fines under the argument of exceeding their work permit hours. Accepting them would mean to be banned from applying for a residence permit in the next 15 years. Politik and newspaper reported 14 cases related to professors from different Danish universities. But Chiu, if we look at numbers, how is Denmark situated in comparison to other European countries? Well, first we need to remember that Denmark is one of the smallest countries of the European Union. Its total population is slightly higher than 5,700,000 people and only 703,800 people approximately are immigrants. This represents about 9.5% of the country's total population. In between 2015 and 2016, the country granted asylum to a total of 18,342 people. The percentage of applicants that have been granted has fallen from 85 to 72 percent in 2016, and during the first seven months of this year, it decreased again to 27 percent. Sir Syria, Iran, Eritrea, Morocco, and Afghanistan are the top nationalities from where refugees come from. While the Danish government is pushing less welcoming policies, the team of Future Forward Aarhus has been exploring projects that are fostering positive discourse. 
Later on today's show, we will talk about the Voices of Migration Festival that happened in the city two weekends ago, and also have a studio guest to talk about an architectural research happening in the district of Brabant. Making change through literature and arts, that's the idea of the Voices of Migration Festival. Lisa has collected some sounds, ideas and voices for you on how art can impact our society. Let's take a listen. Equality and social change through literature and the arts. That is the motto of the Voice of Migration Festival that took place in Aarhus two and a half weeks ago. Three days of poetry, music, talks and theater with the idea of bringing people together in solidarity. People who are often not able to occupy the same spaces. People with different backgrounds, personal stories, languages and ideas. Already back in 2012, while working in London together, the curators Tina Stengor and Melanie Abrahams had the idea to organize such an event. We've been working with so many different artists with different backgrounds and coming from all cultures and, and all, all over the world. We really like the dynamics of bringing people together who are quite different actually, but still share so many things. When the numbers of refugees coming into Europe peaked, both knew it was time for the festival, Tina explains. There's so much fracture in society, uh, so much divide, so much hate, um, and we just really wanted to bring people together. Uh, and, and actually show that we have more in common than people normally tend to think. Um, so the whole agenda was to just create a space where all is welcome uh, and where we, everybody could share their feelings, thoughts, artistic things in, re in relation to, to migration. Um, the funny thing is migration has happened always, you know. Um, and it's fostered so many positive things back in the days and throughout history. And today it seems to be so negative in, in, in so many ways. Um, and we tackle it all wrong, I believe, um, by really focusing on the bad things, um, cultural clashes and, and, and people not being able to actually uh, live in peace together. With a degree in comparative literature from Aarhus University, Tina frequently produces arts and literature events, always aware of the challenges society is facing and driven to explore them. I reckon that the public debate has become really, really harsh. Um, and also the political system. Um, you have you know, the right wing, the left wing. They're really, you know, really... Um, just at each other and there are so many people in between that are getting squished in some way and can't, they can't relate either to the left or to the right wing um, and the whole you know the stories that are out there are being told about refugees about migrants and not you don't hear their voices um, and I reckon that's where literature and the arts in general they, they actually Uh, can can really help to to let us hear some of those personal stories from real human beings instead of just you know newspaper articles or what you hear in the media or or the public debate. But you can show things from a different side and from a personal side. Nonetheless, Tina and Melanie know arts and literature can only go so far. I think you can really go a long way uh, with the arts, but obviously. Um, 
you need to have some sort of social awareness and you can you can start that you can kind of start a movement in some way uh, to show different sides of the story of migration uh, but of course you would have to influence politics and and, and you know the government and, and so, so the arts can only go so far and show things from from one side um, but the arts cannot make rules in society and they're not supposed to at all they're supposed to be really independent and show things with that artistic point of view um, so so hopefully the arts will help reflect different versions of reality in some way and in relation to migration um, but then it's you know to to actually really affect society and how we make rules or, or, and so on and so forth uh, would be up to government to do so Kamala Dayani is not only a Persian Danish singer performing at the Voice of Migration Festival, but also works in schools. And she believes children are the key to change. Together with a group of internationals, Kamala goes into primary and secondary schools to work with kids on music, dance and theater. I believe that we really need to focus on, on the children. <laughs> and also, uh, if we want to reach the parents, uh, it's very nice to go through the children. Uh, to invite Danish children to come and sing along on on folk songs from all over the world, and suddenly the parents are listening as well, and they find themselves in a new new place and where they never would have come themselves. But in the end, were Tina and Melanie able to achieve what they were aiming for? Obviously, the ticket sales could have been better, but that's always a thing when you try and, and, and do something new and try and start something new. Um, But at every single event, the atmosphere was there. People were really engaged and they really, both artists and, and audiences and, and, and everybody just really gave bits and pieces of themselves. They got really personal and I'm amazed that they were willing to share their personal beliefs and stories in such a way. So that was quite fantastic. Migration is a challenge and also a hardly new phenomenon. Yet it is the first time occurring to those extents in Europe. While the population is increasingly shifting from rural to urban areas, immigrants often end up in the outlines of town. So-called ghettos occur, neighborhoods characterized by minority groups. Anjana Zimmerman, an architecture student originally from Berlin, is currently researching Gullerup. The neighborhood in the district of Brabant is located in the western part of the Aarhus municipality. It is known for its high crime rate and social problems. We have invited Angela for our show today to talk about how neighborhoods like Gullerup can be integrated again. Um, good afternoon, Angela. Welcome to Fit for Aarhus. Tell us a little bit about this place. Gallerup is, let's say, um, a very difficult area. In 2014, it was even considered the poorest neighborhood in Denmark, which is uh, very interesting when you look at its history especially. Um, the neighborhood is more known for Gellerupparken, which is a housing complex that was built in the late 60s, 70s and was imagined as an ideal home to the growing middle class in Aarhus. And uh, it was almost like a city within the city, containing spacious housing, a church, a library and a large mall that uh, originally offered stores and facilities for 
daily needs such as doctors, grocery shops, etc. But um, unexpectedly, few natives uh, wanted to live there, so it turned into a home for the guest workers that Denmark received in the 60s, who then became immigrants, making use of their right to stay and receiving unemployment benefits and eventually bringing their families. So as uh, immigration increased during the 80s and 90s, neighborhoods like Gellerup with large numbers of affordable social housing worked some kind of like a catch basin, if you can say that, for these newcomers. Um, and uh, when you take a closer look at who is actually living in Gellerup, I think this is also where one of the main reasons lies why um, it's becoming so marginalized, because it houses over 80 different nationalities and most of them originating from a non-Western background. So people mainly migrate to search for better educational opportunities and economical stability, but the one least familiar with the Danish culture and social structure are usually also the most um, vulnerable in terms of self-integration capabilities. So their way into society is more reliant on the surrounding environments and how they are allowed and given opportunity to act and dwell with them, uh, within them. So it's not rare that individuals from these groups end up in the bottom of our society. So how did this place, how did the Gullerup end up being called a so-called ghetto? You you have explained us that <laughs> this is like not the correct way to call this place. Well, I feel calling it a ghetto is something where the problem starts already. So... Um, when an area like that is publicly stated as a ghetto, which Gallup has been since the government published uh, the annual ghetto list, then people with more resources will uh, move out because, I mean, who wants to live in a ghetto, right? So you're almost creating the problem you want to solve. If you stigmatize uh, a neighborhood like that, then um, you're creating kind of the problem already because uh, it creates an image and... Um, And this image is very difficult to to delete.